Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Moth. And welcome back to the Masters of Modern podcast on Collected.Company. I'm your host, Ben Bateman. You guys know me from the Masters of Modern podcast, from 10 minutes of modern on Anchor, from hundreds of episodes of this show, and uh, you're used to hearing Alex Kessler's voice in this slot. I'll tell you what, guys, you have been used to hearing him in this slot because Alex Lead hosts this podcast, but Alex is in Hong Kong. So I am coming to you right now doing an episode, a very special episode. This will be solo for part of it, and then it will be with a special guest for another part of it uh, to preview that. You guys may have heard it on the 10 Minutes of Modern show on Anchor, but my friend Alex Scheftel won a limited PPTQ, and he is now going to be qualified and going to the modern RPTQ, but he hasn't ever played modern. So we did a little short interview on the show talking about his experience and sort of just the beginnings of the deck, uh, sorry, of the format and the decks, but today he's going to be coming on doing a little bit more of an extensive interview, talking about his experience, what to expect, asking sort of newbie questions about modern. So this should be a fun one for us to do as obviously a lot of us have had questions like this about modern uh, that we are kind of embarrassed to ask if we listen to a modern podcast. And it's a very expansive format, so I kind of want to just open up the conversation to Alex and let him just ask a lot of questions. So before he gets here, I'm going to go over a few things, some pieces of news, some some shout-outs, some of those things. And the first thing I should tell you guys is, if the audio on this episode sounds a little wonky, it's because in the last few weeks, our device we were using died. And you guys know this, we talked about it on the show. Uh, my backup device, which I've used in the past for these episodes, also died. <laughs> so now I'm using a third backup device, which is basically a fancy schmancy room mic. Uh, and I've got it rigged and set up here on top of a stack of boxes of magic cards. So it's as close to my face as possible to avoid the room noise as much as possible. But that is what you're hearing me from. Uh, and it is obviously hilarious and ironic that uh, this audio, this this wonderful audio would come to you on stacks of, you know, 60,000 magic cards. So uh, I'm here to talk to you guys a little bit about a few different things today. We are going to go over some news, some new mechanics in Ixalan, uh, a few other things. But in the meantime, I should let you guys know this podcast is available on Collected.Company every single week. Uh, we talk modern. Our sister podcast, The Command Zone, done by Jimmy Wong and Josh Lee Kwai, also available on Collected.Company. They do stuff like game nights and other fun stuff on their YouTube channel. So check that out. That is awesome and a really great place to find content. We have a Patreon which, uh, you know, there's a handful of you guys that are submitting ideas for, for brews, and that's one of the things, if you submit ideas there, we'll deck tech you guys on, you know, on the show. We do these deck tech episodes when a new set comes out. We'll be doing one as soon as Ixalan comes out. I think we skipped one for Hour of Devastation, but we'll definitely do one with Ixalan. So if you go there, honestly, guys, these days, a dollar a month, $2 a month to our Patreon means the world. We're going to have to drop a bunch of money to buy a full new setup to really make this a little easier so that we can get good, solid, you know, quality recordings that aren't sort of on the fly like this. And, uh, and you know, your help with the Patreon. So patreon.com slash the MMCast. Um, otherwise, guys, you can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media. You can find Alex Kessler at Kess Wiley. And, uh, you know, the last thing to mention here is, of course, Anchor. I've talked about it before, and uh, I announced it last time we had a show, but this is really exciting because I'm getting a lot more interaction from listeners of this show. The 10 Minutes of Modern, or sorry, the 10 Minutes of Magic Anchor Show is now the 10 Minutes of Modern Anchor Show. It's the official podcast done daily in segments, 10 minutes a day, on anchor.fm and the way for you guys to keep that going if you want to hear alex and i in extra segments of 10 minutes a day is to go download anchor.fm find the show which is just anchor.fm slash 10 minutes of modern it's easy to search for on the app and uh, you'll get like 10 extra minutes of content a day i had patrick chapin on a couple weeks ago talking about band nightfall we had Corey burkhart talking about you know bannings in modern we have all kinds of special guests alex and i'll do special shows preview shows like really up-to-date spoilers because obviously you know, something breaks on a Thursday and we don't have a show publishing until the next Wednesday, it's kind of a letdown for you guys. This is a good way for you to hear daily content. Some of you guys have asked a little bit about, you know, can you hear a backlog of old episodes and why are those episodes so hard to find? That's on me. I thought that the auto archive made all that stuff available to you guys and I found out that I have to make them into podcasts, which I can do right on the app. You can just create on the app. Um, but I'm going to start doing more of that. So you guys can 
you know, you'll, you'll see links. We post to like the Masters of Modern Facebook group and the Twitter, you know, I try to post those once a day. But on top of that, guys, there is definitely an opportunity for you guys to hear old shows and like the stuff with Chapin and Corey. And I'll go turn all of that stuff into podcast material so you guys can find little five and 10 minute segments and sometimes even longer to get a sense of what's going on. So that is what's gonna be happening with uh, 10 Minutes of Modern moving forward. So again, guys, if you wanna keep that going, if you want that extra hour of content, just go download the app and I promise you it's gonna get easier and easier and, and that's the way it works. So let's get straight into the show today, guys. First and foremost, Ixalan preview season is in full swing. You know, we have our preview card that we're gonna be sharing with you guys sooner than later. But in the meantime, you know, there was definitely an article released about some of the new mechanics, some of the new keywords. So I'm gonna start out with Enrage which uh, they, they preview on a card called Sun Crowned Hunters. Basically, Enrage is uh, whenever this creature is dealt damage, something happens. So the one here is a big limited card. It's like a 5-4 dinosaur for 6 mana. Enrage states whenever Sun Crowned uh, Hunters is dealt damage, it deals 3 damage to target opponent. So just kind of your classic limited, like, you know, brawler. It's going to deal some damage. Uh, it's going to get dealt some damage. Even if it's lethal, something happens. You know, this is like pitch burn devils or just kind of taking a, taking an effect that we've seen happen out of cards, black cat or something, and uh, putting it onto a card, which is instead of lethal damage or dying, it's just when it's dealt damage, which also means if you have like a prodigal sorcerer or that kind of effect, you can tim your own guy and get some damage out of it. So enrage, to me, this feels very much like one of those like limited keywords that we definitely want to, you know, have fun with, but I don't think it's going to be crazy unless they print it obviously on a lower CMC card that really has the opportunity to break through. Uh, the next keyword that they, they previewed in the article about the mechanics was uh, Dead Eye Tormentor. So one black, two colorless for a 2-2. Two, two. Raid states whenever, you know, this creature enters the battlefield, if you attack with a creature this turn, something happens. In this case, it's target opponent discards a card. Specifically, this is just like a fun limited common, 2-2 two, two for three, that if you play it after you've attacked with your two drop, they're going to discard a card. Like, solid, you know? Liliana Spectre's better, but it's this, again, feels like a fun reasonably powered limited mechanic that I can see going a long way. So definitely something that is on my radar. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I will enjoy playing limited in this set. This seems awesome. Because one thing I will really say about Ixalan is so far that the the um, the flavor is really cool. I think the flavor in this set is is like t second to none so far, uh, you know, or, or at least in a while. And I think we were all pretty excited about that, right? Like pirates, dinosaurs, the tribal theme, merfolk, like it just definitely seemed like they were doing something pretty fun and uh, it doesn't seem like they're going to disappoint. So big fan of this and, uh, you know, Raid, it feels like, it feels like Dash or like any of these, any of these like four letter keywords that we see that come out. They're very, very fun for limited. They don't make a huge impact anywhere really beyond standard unless they are re like really unique. Like I could see in Rage, if there was a very specific enrage card, I could see making it, yeah, having it be an impact. But we're not talking about something like Delve, where every card that says Delve potentially represents a huge threat. You know, that's that's not uh, where we're at. So, or Miracle or something. You know, Rage just, yeah, it's a fun limited ability. Uh, next up, you have uh, Treasures. So the card that was, you know, previewed here was a five mana Prosperous Pirates. It's a three, four human pirate for blue and four. When it enters the battlefield, you know, create two treasure artifact tokens and they have tap the sacrifice to add one mana of any color to your mana pool so it's kind of like creating um lotus petals to some degree i guess it's, yeah it is it's like creating lotus petals and it's exactly what it's like actually <laughs> uh and they sit on the battlefield and you know this is definitely interesting of the three this is certainly the one that feels like it's the most fun because to me this feels like it's you can you can really make this work with other strategies that already exist especially in modern um, I think there's a lot of Artifact Matters cards now that have been printed and Artifact Matters blocks, you know, whether you're talking about Investigate and Clues or whether you're talking about, um, you know, what was that? the stuff from Kaladesh, you know, Investigate, you had Clues, you had, uh, I guess, just cool artifacts that were created. I, I, what am I thinking here? But uh, long, long story short, I think that the cards that reference treasures are going to be pretty fun. It'll be interesting to see how aggressively they push it. There's a lot of things that have been printed over the last few years that have really taken advantage of artifacts. Like Garoppa Aethergrid is one, or and Soul Artifact is another, where, you know, there's all there's like the improvised cards. Um, it just feels like giving us a lot of artifacts to sacrifice. I did a whole episode on Anchor about Pia and Kieran Nalar the other day. I think things that create a lot of artifacts are pretty relevant. You know, Affinity takes advantage of this, that sort of thing. Obviously, Arcbound Ravager. So that's certainly on my radar. Of these three that I've mentioned, this is the one that 
feels like it's the most powerful that I'm paying the closest attention to. Next up, they've really made a point of highlighting merfolk and vampires in this set. So uh, instead of Island Walk, instead of Island Walk and, you know, lords giving each other plus plus for merfolk, it does seem like they've really made an effort to focus on plus one, plus one counters for merfolk. So some of those cards have been previewed, but specifically, uh, it does seem like uh, it reads here, the River Heralds. The Merfolk strategy revolves around being very difficult to block and growing via plus one, plus one counters. They don't have a named keyword and thus don't have a preview card in this article. If you're a Merfolk fan, don't fret. There are plenty of goodies in store. I've seen a few of them. I don't want to go into heavy preview discussion because Alex and I are going to do a full set review coming up, but it's nice to see Merfolk getting the highlight. Um, again, somebody on Anchor asked about this and I did a bit about tribal sets versus just sets that feature a couple tribes. I tend to prefer the ones that just feature a couple tribes. Um... Ones that are fully devoted to being tribal sets, so like Lorwyn or Onslaught, it's fun, but it's a little too much. It's a little too instructive in terms of how to play the block, and I like to have a little bit more freedom in my mind of how to play the block. So um, Vampires, it's the same deal. You know, you're paying life, you're gaining life. Uh, I think they've done a pretty good job the last few years of really pushing Vampires and making them something to pay attention to. So um, next up, we have an ability called Explore. This one's very interesting to me. So the card that they previewed here is a green Merfolk Scout called Trishana's Wayfinder. Green 2 for a 2-2. Two, two. When Trishana's Wayfinder enters the battlefield, uh, it explores. Now what that means is, when it says Explore, put that card into your hand if it's a land card. So you reveal the top card of your library when it enters the battlefield. Otherwise, put a plus one, plus one counter on the creature and put that card on the top of your library or into your graveyard. So what ends up happening is, if it's a land card, you get to draw it, right? If it's not a land card, your creature gets bigger, and you get to decide to kind of do a scry move, either, except instead of the bottom of your library, you can fill your graveyard, which we all know it's way better to be able to put cards into your graveyard from the top than it is to put them on the bottom. It's always a little bit more of an advantage because graveyard-based decks are a real thing people can actually do. So uh, this, to me... <laughs> you know, I made this joke once before, but you know, don't explore twice, um, is a real thing. Like this is, this is certainly something I'm paying attention to and something I'm pretty excited about. Um, I'm really hoping there's a two drop that has this ability. Uh, this, like I was talking a lot recently about Coiling Oracle and Baleful Strix and two, two drops that manage to draw a card somehow. And if there's a two drop that has Explorer on it, that's maybe even like a tribal two drop. I can see like a two drop Merfolk that gets bigger, that becomes like three power for two mana, you know, or it draws you the land off the top of your library. That seems very good and something I'm excited about. Kind of on the level of Silvergill Adept, but I think even maybe a little better. Um, next up, you've got uh, vehicles coming back. Uh, you know, they basically made it clear that they don't mind bringing vehicles back so soon. They're, they look like they're mostly ships, sort of pirate ships. The, they, the card they previewed here is Sleek Schooner. Uh, it's a 4-3 for three, three vehicle, crew one. Uh, it's just an uncommon, you know, it seems fun. Uh, I like to see this because, in my opinion, vehicles are very powerful and something that I think do deserve to be evergreen. And, I, and Alex and I have talked quite a bit about this, and um, it's good to see. I, I think that they they serve a really cool purpose in Magic in the same way that Equipment did when they were introduced, and I'm happy to see that. So uh, we'll continue to see those be a thing. Uh, next up you have, uh, they, they talk a little bit more about treasures, but you have some flip cards, right? So it says, Ixalan also marks the return of double-faced cards, but instead of showing a creature transforming into another version of itself, the double-faced cards in the set highlight the tales and tools of discovery. So the card Treasure Map is an artifact for two, with the ability of tap one, tap it, scry one, put a landmark counter on Treasure Map. Then if there are three or more landmark counters on it, remove those counters, transform Treasure Map, and create three colorless treasure tokens, three Lotus Petals, basically. The back of it is a land, it's like a cool pirate looking land called Treasure Cove that has the ability of tap to add a colorless mana to your mana pool or tap sacrifice a treasure draw card. Very cool. Um, treasure map is awesome. The flavor here is awesome. I am excited. I'm excited to see artifacts that flip into lands. Um, the flavor and it, it, the theme here is really cool. Definitely really badass. So um, just generally pretty excited about this. Um, I, I don't think there's a whole lot more to say about it. We'll see what else gets previewed. But the last thing to discuss here is one of the most notable, and that is the overarching change to the way Planeswalkers are done. So, the card they previewed is a new 3-mana Jace. Blue, blue, 1 for a 3-loyalty legendary Planeswalker Jace, right? His 3 abilities are as follows. Plus 1. Whenever one or more creatures you control deals combat damage to a player this turn, draw a card and discard a card. No matter how many creatures you have that 
ding your opponent in combat this turn, you get to loot one time. Okay, perfectly reasonable. Goes to four, you loot, like, seems like a Jace ability. Minus two to create a 2-2 two, two blue illusion creature token with whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell, sacrifice it. So you're creating a Phantasmal Bear that only is affected by spells. Again, seems fine. You're making a creature. A 2-2 two, two for minus two and the Planeswalker is still alive, fine with me. They have to have a spell to kill it. An ability is not going to get rid of it. Finally, minus five, create two tokens that are copies of Jace Cunning Castaway, except they're not legendary. So, let's talk about this, guys. First of all, Planeswalkers are now legendary. Retroactively, all Planeswalkers will now be printed and treated as legendary cards, in the same way that legendary creatures work, which two cards of the same name on your side, the static ability means one of them has to be sacrificed. If your opponent has the same card as you, the same Planeswalker, you both can have that Planeswalker, just like it was now. If I have Liliana of the Dark Realms and Liliana of the Veil on the battlefield, I can have them both now, whereas before I could not. So this is a rare situation where they're, they have doubled down on the fact that with over 60 Planeswalkers, I think over 70 now, they want to start being able to have people play more than one in their decks. Um, I think the idea that people had that, you know what, it's not very cool for me to be able to have multiple copies of the same Planeswalker from different sets and not be able to play with all my Planeswalkers because they're these chase cards. And I think it's really smart. Um, somebody asked me a little bit about, do I think tribal Planeswalkers are a thing? Gideon definitely is the one that jumps out. Uh, I think Jace, because there's different CMCs that are all relevant. But more than anything, going forward, this will be a very interesting space for us to play in as Planeswalkers continue to be printed. Uh, because, yeah, you're going to be able to build a deck now instead of playing, you know, six, seven, eight Planeswalkers at a Super Friends deck. You can probably get away with playing more like 12 Planeswalkers now. Um, I love the idea of, you know, Jace, like the Planeswalker creatures, and then being able to play the older versions of them. Um, obviously, each Planeswalker thematically is usually designed to each version sort of does something similar. But in any case, this to me feels like actually a really fun design change, and I am definitely excited about it. Um, I don't think in any way, shape, or form the design of this set is falling on, you know, deaf ears. I think this is definitely a cool decision, and I'm excited to see what happens with Tribal Planeswalkers. I think it's going to be great. So, anyway, guys, that's going to wrap up the uh, the kind of news section. I wanted to run over that with you guys so you got a sense of what was going on with Ixalan as it comes up. Definitely, that was the big, most exciting piece of news. And we're going to get into the episode now, talking to Alex Scheftel about his experience uh, getting ready for Modern and his questions, just as a general new player to Modern and how that looks. So, uh, let's talk to Alex. All right, we're sitting here with Alex Scheftel. So uh, we're talking a little bit about Modern. You won a, pro, uh, a preliminary Pro Tour qualifier. You have an RPTQ coming up, and you're brand new to Modern. You haven't you haven't like played Modern competitively almost at all, am I correct? Uh, that's right, yeah. I haven't played Constructed uh, in a competitive setting uh, at all. Have so. you ever played like Standard or anything like that? Nope. Really? I've never played with a 60-card deck and a 15-card sideboard. Wow. So, guys, uh, Alex and I go back. We go back, like, quite a while playing uh, the format you guys know so well. You hear us talk about it here called Highlander Roulette. And it's a very competitive format with a lot of people who are very good and have played at the pro level for a long time. But that's a 100-card format where you can play all of the unfair things as long as they have foil versions. So Modern's powerful, but it's not powerful like Highlander's powerful. So are you looking forward to getting to play some of those favorite cards and actually get something other than more magic cards from it <laughs> yeah and i think i am always looking for sort of the most broken thing you can do i guess i, I lean towards combo definitely you're i would argue 100 percent you're a combo player so it's been interesting exploring what exists in the format and uh what decks seem to take advantage of the most powerful interactions yeah, yeah, yeah. So you won a limited PPTQ, and you didn't know it was modern for the RPTQ? Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about that for a little bit. Uh, it was in uh, Baldwin Park. Uh, I think it was about 55 players. Um, it was sealed and then top eight draft. Uh, my sealed pool was a really strong uh, red-white deck that was just full of premium removal and sort of okay creatures, uh, but just being able to answer everything consistently took me to a, a pretty easy 4-0 draw-draw into the top eight. Uh, in the top eight, I actually drafted another red-white deck, but this one was much more aggressive, uh, almost all creatures uh, with very high creature quality um, and a little bit less removal. 
uh, both very strong. Yeah, both able to execute their game plans consistently. So in the top eight, I won in the first round and then in the semifinals. And as I'm sitting across from my opponent about to begin the finals, he asks me if I'm interested in the uh, invitation to the RPTQ or if I just want to take our combined cash and, and give him the invite. Shady. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I said, no, you know, I'm here, here for the invite. That's, that's why we all showed up today. Um, and that's when I found out that the RPTQ was going to be a modern tournament and there were no alternatives. There were no limited RPTQs for this season. So, uh, <laughs> so you're like, you're like sitting there just like, well, I've made it this far. I guess I have to just win and just do it, right? Yeah, so I, I had a moment where I'm like, would I rather just take the cash and not have to worry about learning modern? But then uh, I, I decided I'd, I was up for the challenge, so I told him I wanted to play it out, and I ended up winning and getting the invitation. You probably... So, like, this will be the thing that you will fall in love with modern because of, I'm sure of it. I've played enough Magic with you to know that, like, you like playing powerful things, and this is a format that's very fast. Like... Really, the most important turn of the game in most modern games is turn two. Um, turn three, I guess, Legacy is more of like the turn two format, but you really can see a lot of action in these games in the first four turns. A lot of games don't even, like, by turn six, they're kind of decided already. So uh, I definitely think you're going to have a fun time. Have you, like, bought a deck? Have you? So, uh, yeah, the other day I, I just invested in uh, a deck on Moto, a uh, modern deck. To, oh, like, what is it, good? <laughs> to mess around with. I, I don't think so, but uh, I, I want to test it some more and get a better feel. Well, we had that. So you came on Anchor on 10 Minutes of Modern for like about 10 minutes the other day, and we chatted a bit about like the top four or five decks. Did you go after something premium, or did you? What did you do? Uh, no, no. I, I tried to go after... Uh, the most potentially powerful deck I could find, uh, which sort of threw consistency out the window. Um, I ended up investing in a, in a Devoted Druid Vizier combo deck. Okay. But it's like, a, it's a super glass cannon build where it's trying to go off on turn two, turn three at the latest, and it's really a bust if you're not making it happen that quick. What's it doing on turn one? Uh, playing Hall of the Bandit Lord tapped. <laughs> okay, so you're going, you're going with a haste, the haste turn two, and then how are you funneling your green mana from Devoted to cast Vizier? So it plays three Metamorphos oh, and one uh, Wild Cantor. Just one Wild Cantor? Yeah, I'm not sure why. I, I got this list uh, straight from the interweb, and uh, it must. So there must be a tutor package to get the Cantor. I uh, you don't. You only need the Metamorphose or the Wild Cantor if you're going off on turn two. Got it. If you're going off on turn three, then you don't need to funnel mana because you could... And I guess you would... Because what's the win condition? How do you win? So it plays one of Duskwatch Recruiter, one sure. of Walking Ballista. That's the whole deck. Yeah. And wow. so four Summoners Pact, which gets you the Devoted Druid or the Duskwatch Recruiter... Um, okay, so it's really all in. Spirit Guides or no? No Spirit Guides. Uh, four Street Wraiths, four Mishra's Bobbles, just to be playing a 52-card deck. Really? And with four Street Wraiths and four Mishra's Bobbles, it isn't playing um, Traverse the Oldenwald? It is. Four, oh. four Traverse oh, okay. as four well. Traverse. Yeah, yeah. That um, makes more sense. Four Traverse and uh, four Pact of Negation. Oh, sick. So this deck is just like the turbo nuts. That's right. It, it's going all in on turns two or three, and if, if it gets interrupted it's not winning any games so uh where can the folks find this total crock if they want to follow along with how you're doing where can they find the list uh i found it online uh i just typed in hall of the bandit lord devoted druid and, oh, sick. Yeah. Okay. um all right so so you're playing that's an all-in version of a deck that doesn't exist although maybe i'm going to find out next week that's a deck who knows <laughs> uh, but you do like combo so there's a few of those glass cannon combo decks that do exist um and it's really interesting like uh, you ha we talked a bit about Affinity and how powerful Affinity can be in Modern and how, to date, it's really the deck that's been the most powerful for the longest because right. it's stuck around with no significant bannings. Yeah. Um, and that's like the... If Affinity is like all in and can kill you in four turns like a couple different ways, Burn is like the most like consistent, linear sort of combo deck without comboing because it's not doing anything other than just what classic Burn always does, just taking your life to zero. 
But then you have decks like Goryeo's Vengeance, like Grishel Brand, and you have decks like uh, Dredge, and you have decks that are really pretty functionally like linear combo decks, and most of them are pretty glass cannony, like exactly what you're talking about. Um, some of the ones that were really good have been banned. Uh, you definitely had like, I don't know if you ever heard about the um, the Amulet of Vigor deck. Yeah, I, I think I stumbled upon one list online. I'm not too familiar with it though. Amulet Bloom. Well, there's still a version people play, but because they banned Summer Bloom. This was a deck that mm. came about like a year, year and a half ago. Put up a couple finishes, like I think at a Pro Tour and a Grand Prix. And it was playing Summer Bloom with Amulet of Vigor and Bounce Lance. And you could turn two mm. Primeval Titan, and then you would Summoner's Pack, and you would go crazy, and you could deal all this damage on turn two. Um, and it was Super Glass Cannon, but Summer Bloom was the kind of card they didn't want. Because the, historically in Modern, what happens is that the people who make the bannings have been very clear they want this to be a turn four format. So when anything gets too close to being turn three, too consistently, they'll ban it. And that's Got historically it. always been the case. Maybe I've stumbled upon the deck that yeah. gets the next fan targeted at it. Um, I think for a deck, if you're looking for something that's super powerful and super all-in, the Grishel brand decks are pretty cool. Um, and that's like, that's totally up your alley. Do you know what this is? No. no. So it's playing uh, Grishel brand and I'm pretty sure it plays Emrakul. Maybe I'm just making that up. But Goryeo's Vengeance, all the like filter discard cards. And you basically, you, know, you discard your Grishel brand, you... Uh, Goryeo's Vengeance is on turn two, and then you have uh, Nourishing Shoal, and like and like uh, I think like the fifteen mana Worm. Okay, World's Fine Worm. Yeah, and you gain fifteen life, and you draw your whole deck. Nice. And then you like cast a Borborigamos somehow, um, which I'm like forgetting even how to do now. It must be like some number of like I'm like spacing on how this works, but there's a way this works, and yeah, you can yeah, see yeah. where I'm going. And like it's the whole like. Cat, you know, discard the giant fatties to your nourishing shoal and gain all the life and draw all the cards and then kill them by discarding all the lands to your Borbergramos and Rage. I guess probably it. what you do is you uh, use another Goryeo's Vengeance off of another discard to put that in play. Got it. And then, you know, you win. That's on turn two if the draw is perfect? Or? Yeah, because I guess you're playing you're playing four spirit guides. So okay. go off on turn two Yep. Uh, by if you discard the card on turn one and then you'll be able to cast another Faithless Looting off of another Spirit Guide later in the game. And then I guess you have to get black mana, so maybe maybe it isn't turn two. I'm sure there's a way to do it. This deck's not as prominent as it once was. We talked about it a few months back, but that's like a very, very all-in deck. Got it. People were doing um, the breaking and entering because it used to be able, you know, when they changed the right, rolling. Right, right. So like that was a thing that people, a lot of people were doing um, with Kari Zev's expertise, yep. and they, were, and they yep. banned that. So anything that gets too close to being unfair like that, sure. they'll ban even Splinter Twin got banned, and that was a turn four deck. Right. But it was too consistent. Yeah. yeah. So would you say that like your goal is to find an all-in glass cannon combo deck? I I want to test it out some more and see if it can go under uh, most of the other strategies. Um, but if it's not consistent enough, then I, I wouldn't bring it to a tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing for you is going to be combo, like devoted combo that isn't redundant like because that combo deck sounds like it's pretty reliant on a couple very specific pieces um they fold a little bit to the fact that grixis death shadow plays eight hand disruption spells in the main deck that's what i've found in my limited testing so far that deck's really good and it's not the only deck that plays heavy amounts of hand disruption but they specifically run the full eight and their threats are so good and so fast that if you can't get going fast enough if you stall out they'll just like resolve their nine nine and they'll just kill you right and um so I, I think you know you have you have a little ways to go in terms of figuring out how to get around disruption um yeah but... i was thinking about uh ley lines out of the sideboard i know a lot of decks yeah 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 that. ley line of sanctity yeah 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 i'm, I'm someone who so so have you know anything about modern sideboarding no, no 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 so there's been a lot of complaints over the years from pros that modern is too wide a format and it makes it impossible as a pro the highest level to get an edge um, and the Paulo Vito wrote an article once suggesting they, they uh, change the sideboard modern 20 cards. Oh, wow. Um, which I, it was just like a one-off article. But that conversation's gone around. Uh, I think it's hard because you want to be able to play a deck that can answer everything, but it's impossible, which is why right. the format changes weekend to weekend and different decks win different Grand Prix. It's a very healthy format in that sense. Right. Um, I'm definitely someone who thinks I like playing threes and four ofs of high-impact sideboard cards. 
I mean, that's how I like to play it, so I would play... Just to target matchups that you really want to get an edge in? Yeah, like, okay, there's certain matchups, for instance, that you just won't have an answer for. But, like, for me, I like four Leyline of the Void in every modern deck I play. Because, for me, Grixis Death Shadow gets a lot worse if, if you start the game with that. Dredge loses. Storm pretty much loses. Like, there's a lot of decks that just lose to a Leyline. Leyline of Sanctity has a similar effect. There's a lot of decks that can't kill you. Scapeshift pretty much can't win. Like, it doesn't stop Shadow, but it's a lot better against Shadow than them ripping your hand apart. Right. Um, but obviously, we all know the problems with Leylines. Is like, you mold a six, you don't get any, and that's the next card you draw, and it's of the course. worst feeling in the world. Uh, yeah, I, I bet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, high impact is a good way to go, and if you're going to play a combo deck, have you looked at Ad Nauseam or... Not really. I've seen it played once, but... Yeah, Storm and Ad Nauseam are two of the pretty pretty premier like early turn go all in combo deck storm right now is the most powerful combo deck what uh what turn is storm going off on these days well they've tried to kill storm a few different times um they've banned gataxian pro they've banned seething song there's even another card i feel like they banned that hurts storm um but the the current build is playing like three gifts i'm given sometimes even four i think maybe it's playing four all the time so storm is a deck that the redundancy is there and that's why it's good is because between the eight the eight two mana rituals yeah. and your sleight of hand your serum visions and your metamorphose and your they used to just have electromancer but now they have goblin electromancer and baral right. so you've got five to eight copies of kind of everything you need now yeah which is why if you get to the point you know and remand obviously like remanding off a of grape shot and stuff like that it's yeah. very clever now, Gifts and Given just wins you the game. So if you get to a point that someone hasn't disrupted you or mm -hmm. nixed your graveyard, it's kind of like you can go off on Disrupted, I think, as early as turn three. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure with a, with a perfect draw, you can. Mm -hmm. The mana creatures, those two drops are very good. But yeah. the deck usually plays like, you'll, you know, they'll kill your Electromancer, they'll path it or right. something like that. They'll strip your thing, and then you go off on turn five after you get on turn four. That's like... Okay usually how it works because it's not playing it's not accelerating you in any way other than an electromancer on turn two and then it gifts on turn three and then you can win on turn four very easily yeah um, but that's like of the data that shows the top finishing decks recently storm is like a top five deck okay um, but that's there's a handful of decks in modern historically that have lived on the fringes but they've always been top eight decks so like as much as they've tried to kill storm it's shown up in the top eight of almost every pro tour interesting yeah like it's always a deck that's like there because people forget about it and then it comes out of nowhere and it wins the right. gifts thing is just a recent thing right uh there there's one other deck that i've actually been looking at a lot i don't know if i could see myself playing it but i think it's a really cool deck and i'm interested in testing it for sure and that is uh lantern control yeah that's a, such a such a <laughs> pain pain deck to play against yeah it, it seems like it would be really stressful to play that in a tournament setting with timed rounds uh just because there are so many decisions to make on every turn and you want there to be like 35 turns in a game right yeah 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 lantern control it's only a deck that's been around for like eh, i think probably a couple years now actually uh zach elsick is the guy that popularized it and it's another one of these decks in modern. This is something you'll find if you start playing the format. It's not like they print a new card and then a deck becomes a thing. What it is is that people have been playing with these fringe decks, like the one you're talking about for a long time, and then all of a sudden someone does well with it, and the whole world is like, oh, that's a real deck. Right. Lantern won a Grand Prix, or at like top 16, and then a few months later I think it won a Grand Prix. Same with Amulet Bloom. It had been legal for since the beginning of modern. They didn't print anything. It's just right. somebody did well with it. Yeah. And that's kind of where that deck has lived. Um that's a deck that people are afraid the the use of Mox Opal is one of the things that would ban Opal. Because it's so good in Affinity, but also that deck's kind of a problem. That deck's a problem in the way that, like, Top was a problem. Sure. Which is why it's been banned since the beginning of the format. Or Eggs was a problem. Right. Um, the, right. And so, so, yeah. But, I mean, it is... You talk about going under. That's another way to get around things. You know, people don't prepare for that deck, and if you get if you get out fast on people, you can lock people out by the third turn very easily. Yeah, yeah, it seems really powerful and pretty tough to pilot. Yeah, I have never played a game with Lantern. I think I've played against it maybe one time. Um, even watching matches online to see people like do it is so boring that I like zone out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I've watched a couple, and it it seems 
tough on both players. Yeah, but I mean, like, winning with Lantern of Insight and, like, Codex Shredder is, like, a pretty good feeling. I, that, that's kind of <laughs> what I've been thinking about, yeah, which makes me want to test it some. But uh, how realistic do you think it is to just create a homebrew that... Ooh, you're talking to the guy that contend. that's all I try to do. Yeah. I, like, refuse to play modern tournaments with real decks. Um, I have a deck I've, I've piloted for a couple years, different versions of, which is now a fringe Devoted Druid deck, but it's a Mirror Superior deck. Um, okay. It's like Burning Tree Emissary on turn two into Mirror Superior, and it plays like Aether Vial and Collected Company. I I'll show it to you. These guys don't want to hear me talk about it. I've talked about it way too much, but <laughs> it's fun. It's easy to pilot a brew, to create a brew that can get you top 64, top 32 really hard to win something competitive at the highest level with a brew yeah because especially in somebody in your position who's new to the format yeah you know if you target a brew that targets like let's say you look at the top eight decks and you're like i'm gonna make a brew that's good against three of the top five like sure really good against shadow really good against affinity or something like that sure that's fine but in the first four rounds of the of the RPTQ, you might play four completely different decks. Right. And if you're too all in on your strategy, you won't even make it to those top tables. Makes sense. What people don't realize is that once you get to the top tables, you are going to play against those best decks. You know, nine out of the 10 times, it's going to be one of the eight or 10 decks you expect. Right. But it's those early rounds. Getting there. If you lose two of your first four, because two of your first four happen to be the guy that's playing, you know, Merfolk, and you didn't prepare for Merfolk, or you're playing against that one guy who decided to show up with Scred Red and like, cause that's his deck. Yeah. You didn't prepare for it at all and you're knocked out of the RPTQ. Right. Which is why at the highest level, I would absolutely play a brew cause that's just who I am. Yeah. But that also probably is because I played a brew at the PPTQ that got me there. Um, gotcha. If you played a brew, hats off to you, man. Yeah. That would be the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. Um, but it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard. The guys yeah. that get away with brews are usually like, the top players that have played the crap out of the format and just know it so well that they it's just so much to prepare for yeah. so much you have to be such a good player and so aware of what people are doing and even like you talk about this combo deck the combo players have to have sideboards that are built to board against the cards they know their opponents are bringing in it's not even like their sideboards aren't even really built to stop the best decks it's like you know the storm deck's going to bring in like echoing truth to bounce the ley line like, that's what they're going to bring in. Right. Um, and that's, like, sort of how you have to play it. So getting those reps is important. When's the PPT or the RPTQ? Uh, it's in mid-November, so I, I have okay. some time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's actually what, I, what I've what i started thinking about with the limited testing I've done with this deck on Moto is just trying to think about how to get around the sideboard hate that's coming in in games two and three. Uh, and like maybe playing a copy of Emrakul uh, when right. when people are casting Stony Silence to stop me from going off with the hanger back or with the walking ballista. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point. You mentioned Emrakul before we started recording, asking about like ways to play him, and he's been a thing. Like people have done Emrakul now. I mentioned a few of the decks. I don't know. At least a half dozen different decks have done it. There's you know, um, what's it called? Like Titan Breach or like Breach Titan or something okay. like that. Yep. Um, and that's like a thing people do, uh, you know, Titan Shift, that's what it's called. So yep. it's a scape shift deck that also plays through the breach, you know, with Emrakul or, uh, with Primeval Titan. And then I believe also plays copies of Emrakul. Okay. Um, and there's actually a reanimator deck you can play too, like a straight reanimator deck, not even, not Grishel brand. I played it against it at a PPTQ like two weeks ago. Huh. It's a Grixis reanimator deck with like Jace Rin's Prodigy and okay. you know, Grishel brand and Emrakul and like it's playing, uh, is it charm and faithless looting and uh -huh. spirit guides to go off early and it's powerful it's just graveyard hates kind of at an all-time high right now yeah that's what it feels like which is one reason that the vizier decks are good yeah because the old malira decks revolved so much around the graveyard mm. that this one gets around graveyard hate yeah you know even just scavenging uses like there's a green black deck the old Jund and Abzan decks, there's mm -hmm. just a straight green-black deck now that plays, like, three main deck Ghost Quarters and three wow. main deck Oozes. Yeah. And, like, just tries to just, like, value you out. Yeah. It's a good deck. Yeah. Um, one other strategy I was wondering about is Mill. I, I wonder if that can be competitive. It's like you're talking to me about only things I want to talk about right now. <laughs> and I keep trying to deviate to, like, competitive stuff. But, like, you're just, like, speaking to the child of me. Um, Mill's, like, one of my favorite things ever. And at Grand Prix San Antonio, I played against a kid who was playing the straight mill deck. Okay. And it's so awesome. 
um, because you have four glimpses and you have four breaking enterings and you have uh-huh. four, uh, what's it? Not Tome Scour, the seven minute Mind Sculpt. Okay. So you have like, you have all the two drops to get you at least seven cards a hit. Does it play the new enchantment that mills equal to the number of cards that have been milled? That time? one wasn't printed, I think, or wasn't prominent oh, okay. yet at the time of that deck. But like, san- like there's the Sanity Grinding version, which is not as good. There's the Mind Funeral version, which is pretty solid. Oh, okay. um, there's like, you kind of have to play Ensnaring Bridge in the deck because mm. it's so hard to find space. Yeah. Um, you play, obviously, Archive Trap. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's definitely enough people that are playing decks that want their graveyard milled out that it's a little risky. Okay. To just yeah. fire off a glimpse on turn two. Is yeah, like... but maybe if the if the graveyard hate gets so prominent that people start shying away from graveyard strategies, maybe that makes some room for mill. I mean, to win with the mill deck, you can't win faster than like turn four. It's, I mean, it's like, what, like ten cards on turn two. In theory, thirteen cards on turn zero. Yeah, you can so, double archive trap off the fetch land or something, right? Yeah, I had the first modern deck I ever built like five years ago was the archive trap, and I even played trap finder's trick. I played two copies of it so I could have more. Which one's that? That's the two mana trap. Oh, that gets a trap that gets you the archive trap. And then they, then they know you have it. Yeah, but you just do it in response to their fetch land. Right. You play it in response to fetch, and then you just oh, it's, it's instant. Yeah. It's a trap at instant speed. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. So, like, and I played like glimpses. They hadn't printed breaking entering yet. And I was playing, like, an Esper version that wanted to play, like, I'm trying to think of what it was. Like, I think you played, like, Paths and Ghost Quarters and stuff. And so you wanted them to search the library so that your archive traps would always work. Okay. And you, but, you know, you're doing the thing where you're interacting with a zone that doesn't matter. You're interacting with your library. So unless you can get them to zero, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, but I have seen it show up. People do it. And you can also, like, Jace, you can Jace's Phantasm, which is, like, Yep. For the longest time, I've been on the train of like, guys, turn one, Jace's Phantasm, turn two, Glimpse is pretty good. Yeah. Act for five, like, yeah. seems solid. Um, and there's White of Precinct Six is another card that's, I think, pretty solid. That's the. That it's from like, maybe like Oath of the Gate. No, no, it's earlier than that. It's like from like Dragon's Maze or something. And it's like one black, one colorless. He's like a 1-1 one, one that gets plus 1, plus 1 for each creature in opponent's graveyard. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you mill him 10, he's yeah, probably yeah, like yeah. a 5-5 five, five for 2 or 6-6. Six, six. Sure. Um, I, man, that's like that's like some next level stuff. Yeah, that seems like you're sort of splitting your army, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because then you can, you can play Goyf too and like just make, you know. Yeah, and then if you're not milling him out and you're not killing with damage, you'll... Somewhere in the middle, yeah. I think I think the move if you were gonna do that deck is definitely to go all in on the mill strategy. Yeah. Um, the the version that I played way back in the day was for it played a uh, four surgical extractions main deck. Nice. I think so, that's a really good card right now. Yeah, because like I don't know, like it seems smart to be able to go turn zero archive trap, and then if you hit, you know what they're playing at that point. Devoted droid. Yeah. Like, you just like hit the card they yeah. have and probably take one out of their hand. That was actually one of the things I liked about uh, Lantern Control when right. I was watching some of that gameplay. Surgical Extraction seemed really, really good. Surgical's a really good card right now. People play a lot of it. Another card that I think looks good in the format is Chalice of the Void on one. Huge. Yeah, people play a lot of Chalice right now. So I was trying to figure out some, some shells that want Chalice on one. There's prison decks. Um, there's prison decks that try to get a chalice on turn one on the spirit guide. I had uh-huh. one. That's the deck I took and played in San Antonio. Was oh a, wow. It was a really stupid deck. Okay. And it was before the split card banning I was talking about, mm-hmm. but it was playing like all these zero mana artifacts like chalice and soul artifacts. I was trying to get like a turn one chalice off of a spirit guide and then suiting it up with a with a uh, and soul artifact on turn two. <laughs> okay. And just like okay, you can't answer it now because yeah. all your removal costs one. Right. And I was playing like. Kari Zev's expertise in Greater Gargadons and like nice. catch releases to like steal your lands and sack them to my Gargadon. Okay, it was, like, pretty silly, but um, sounds fun. It was really fun. I did it okay. I think I won like five out of nine rounds or something okay. like that, four or five. Yeah. Um, but it's not a real like. Sure. But Chalice is a real thing. Yeah one uh, one shell I found for it was a mono black deck. Okay, like a pox deck or. Uh, I was running yeah four small pox. Um, Crucible of Worlds with Ghost Quarter. Yep. Um, Most modern decks won't run more than like six or seven basics tops, and some of them only run like three. Yeah. Three or four, so yeah. you get that loop going. It's basically strip mine. Ghost Quarter, yeah, seems yeah. really good as well. Yep. 
it's good in general. I mean, Eldrazi Tron I mentioned the other day on Anchor with you is one of the best decks. Though that's not, I don't think that Ghost Quarter is the way to fight that deck because gotcha. they're so fast. Yeah, the Black Shell I was looking at, I think it was playing uh, for Collective Brutalities, uh, where it just Cards tries so good tries to just like use all the modes and dump its hand right uh, to go Hellbent with Ensnaring Bridge and uh, also uh, Infernal Tutor. So once you go Hellbent, then you just get whatever you want. Yeah, I think um, the Pox deck, 8-Rack is another like mono-black deck people mm, play. Yeah. Um, people try to do that stuff. You mentioned Staring Bridge. Yeah, which is in Lantern as well. So that's two different decks that are yeah for the Hellbent and Staring Bridge strategy. A good way to pay attention to what the most powerful things to be doing are, you can look up a handful of articles now. We even Actually, we had an episode we did in the last two months, the, uh, the banning hot and cold list. Okay. And we, we basically tried to make what we felt were, was like the watch list. Like the top four cards, the next four like that were like warm, and then like the ones that are just like on the fringes. And there's another article. It's a pretty solid way to get a sense of what the most unfair things you can be doing in Modern are. Um, because the decks, like all the cards that show up on the list are Chalice, Blood Moon, Ensnaring Bridge, mm, yeah. Mox Opal, Simeon Spirit Guide, Street Wraith. A lot of the most powerful things you're talking about are showing up on lists because... Anything that lets you get a turn ahead in Modern, so Mox Opal and Spirit Guide are good examples of that. Yep. Anything that lets you play 58, or sorry, 56 or 52 cards, yep. so Mishra's Bobble and Street Wraith. Yep. Anything that allows you to play one card and basically end your opponent's chances of playing the game, so Blood Moon, in a lot of cases, Ensnaring Bridge. A lot of decks can't beat Ensnaring Bridge. That's a thing. So if you're talking about making a brew, I'd start with that list. I would start with that list and figure out, okay, like, do I think there's a combination of these cards that are main deckable that I can take out the whole format with? That's yeah. why I always end up. Yeah, that, that's uh, one of the things that, that uh, had me interested in that monoblock list was the both four of Chalice, four of Ensnaring Bridge. Yeah, it's, it's a fun idea. I always find that in reality, it's a little less effective to do something like that than you'd like because, like, I don't know, you'll, like, draw your bridge and you'll play it and then, like, the deck you're playing just won't care at all. You'll play the guy that's playing Mill. And you'll be like, God, how did that happen? Right. You know? Right. It's, like, better to do something proactive in Modern than to do something reactive is a good lesson because yeah. the because the format's so fast because right. by turn and, and diverse as well yeah there's so much right if you're on. yeah if you're just trying to play reactive there are yeah too many decks out there to be able to react to have you considered creature decks or aggro anything like that um not really i mean if i want to test a lot more with the decks that i'm most interested in and if i find that creature decks are just beating them then maybe I'll, I'll shift in that direction right and test some of those out but first i want to try to be unfair then i'll i'll look at some fair decks if the unfair decks aren't consistent enough or just don't have a high enough win percentage yeah i mean you're, you're i think you're on the right track you play what you know you play the style you like and i think that's that's the best way to do it so any other uh, pressing questions on the modern format um I think I've been I've been making a lot of mistakes with mulligans for oh, sure. Like I, you keep I too many, or I I think I yeah I think I keep too many hands. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I have no experience mulliganing and constructed. If you're playing an unfair deck, mulligans are correct. If you're playing a fair deck, you want to be a little more liberal with your mulligans. Um, something important to remember is, as a rule of thumb. I take the best card out of my hand and try to figure out what my game plan would be because it's so prominent to get your hand shredded. Mm. A, a disruption spell on turn one is like, I feel like it's 40% of the games you play. Right, so, so you can't let that beat you. Yeah, it's like if you feel like this hand is going to do absolutely nothing if they take away your traverse or something, you're, you know, then it's hard. But on the other hand, you're not always going to have that liberty. So right. if you're playing an unfair deck, though, it's important to remember like going to six is fine. Like you can be, you'll be just fine on six. Right. So, one card that has really, really impressed me is Pact of Negation. It's not played as much as you think. It's been played in the past, but right now it's not being played very much. Yeah, I mean, in most of the games that I have comboed off and won, I've had a pact that's protected the devoted druid from a removal spell during the combo. And it probably like always is countering fatal push <laughs> yeah fatal push lightning bolt path i mean right yeah, yeah. yeah it's just like they're they're thinking that they're safe with their disruption spell while i try to go off and right. then the game's just over with pact of mitigation totally which, totally. which just feels really really strong I, I think even if i went for like 
a more fair list that had a devoted druid combo, I think I would still want Pact of Negations in there. Yeah, I've never played with it in a deck in Modern myself, but uh, I know, I think it used to get played in those Amulet Bloom decks I was talking about. Mm. That was a thing people did. The yeah. Amulet Bloom deck, by the way, if you're looking for something Glass Cannony, you'll still see it show up and people, like, people play it with um, Azusa. They play it with Azusa oh, now. nice. And it's still good. I see people still do well with it, so it's another deck to look into. It's super solitary, it's really fun, and it's really cool to be able to play bounce lands with amulet generate two mana and replay like yeah it's pretty cool um yeah so i feel like you might like that deck that, that was actually something that came to mind um when i was thinking about this deck i've been testing just the interaction between uh, amulet and hall of the bandit lord totally like what if there was something there where i'm playing my hall untapped and yeah. it's really just out of nowhere you're getting this devoted joy with haste and yeah have you heard any rumblings about you know the planeswalker change rule they announced this week yeah, or their legendary... Yeah, and you know, land. The tapped land that can generate two mana to... You pay two life and it adds two mana for a legendary spell. Yeah, 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 yeah. E or whatever. Uh, has that shot up in, no, in I, price? No, it hasn't shot up in price, but there's been a lot of talk online. People are like, how fast is this card going to get banned? And it's like, yeah. pe- most people think it's not good. They're just like, this is just basically a mana dork. Like, it comes in tapped. Who cares? But I don't I don't know. I think... Something with the amulet. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. It just it's a, it's a soul land. It's a tapped soul land, but like... There aren't any two mana planeswalkers that could be cast for colorless mana, so like who cares? You know? It's still a land. You don't have to spend a card. So it's not really a mana dork. The two life, I guess, matters, but Yeah. It could be a yeah. thing. So right, it's on my radar. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And I think we'll see a lot more planeswalker heavy Yeah. Uh, same like type of planeswalker. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, tribal Tri- yeah, like tribal, tribal planeswalker yeah, 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 decks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, I was talking about that on the episode before you got here. Oh, okay. I, I think yeah. that's a thing. Like I think, you know, especially like Gideon, maybe Jace, like mm-hmm. a couple of the ones that have really nice curves with their different right. versions. Right. Um you start with the creature version and then you kind of curve it into the other versions. That, to me that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Anyway, I think that's going to pretty much wrap us up, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in and listening. Alex, thanks for coming by. We appreciate uh, you giving us uh, you know, the lens into a newbie getting into modern. And uh, probably we'll talk to you again before the tournament, I hope. And definitely we want a tournament report after the tournament. Of course. This should be fascinating. But, uh, guys, as always, be sure to you know follow us on Twitter at the MMCast. Follow me personally at Ben Bateman Media. You are not on Twitter? No, no, I'm not. Okay, fair enough. And uh, you can follow Alex at Cass Wiley. Um, of course, one last time, anchor.fm slash 10 Minutes of Modern. I keep talking about it. You guys will be able to find episodes, old episodes on there. I'll be turning those into podcasts and just daily content from the Masters of Modern station in the form of 10 Minutes of Modern. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. Have a great one, and we will talk to you next week, presumably with much better audio quality um, because, you know, recording uh, on a stack of Magic Card boxes is not the, not the ideal way to go. So anyway, guys, thanks a lot, and have a good one. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator.